either. Whoa, there we go. Can we, can we, do, do they both work? No? No, there we go. Yeah. Hey, all right. Ladies and gentlemen, Josh Modisette, thank you for uh, serving in sound, which is awesome. No, uh, frankly, we, I, I came in this morning and it was just a joy to see everybody serving in different capacities. There's people brewing coffee, people getting communion ready, the band's warming up, Rory's up there, uh, and Josh doing tech. Uh, and it's just, it's an awesome thing to know that, that when you're part of a church, you're part of a people of God, that everybody's kind of doing their roles and doing their different things. So now that the microphone works, welcome to Mercy Fellowship, uh, where we're saved by Jesus' work. We're changed by Jesus' grace and living on Jesus' mission. And so we're going to continue our series this morning in the book of 1 Thessalonians called Thrive, Flourishing, and Faithfulness. And 1 Thessalonians is this letter that Paul wrote to a church that he planted in a town called Thessalonica. And, and that church was a really faithful church. There was a lot of really good things they had going on. They were a good gospel community. They loved one another. They cared for one another. They were faithful to God's word. And, and, and Paul commends them a lot in the first couple chapters of the letter. And then he makes a transition uh, at the end of chapter three to say, hey, I'm praying for you, church, and there's, there's ways that I want to see you continue to grow in faithfulness to continue to, to flourish. That, that no matter how great you're doing, and certainly when you're challenged as well, like you want to grow, but no matter how great you're doing, you still want to grow. There's still areas uh, to grow in faithfulness. And so at the beginning of chapter four, he says, hey, you need to really consider how your sexuality is played out in a way that honors the Lord, honors your body, and isn't the way that the pagan culture lives. And then he talks about, hey, you also want to be people that, that work hard and, and, and not mind your own business, but, but care uh, uh, for the things that God has given you to care about and influence. And then last week we saw that it was a time of tremendous persecution that the church was going through. And people were very concerned because uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, members of the church, they, they were dying. They, they had died because of persecution, or maybe they died because of old age, natural causes. Either way, they were deeply concerned that because they had experienced death, that they wouldn't get to be with Jesus when Jesus returned. Because this church had heard the fullness of the gospel. That is, yes, Jesus died for your sins so you could have new life now. But also the promise that Jesus will return to restore all things, to, to give a new heavens and a new earth. To, to undo all that is wrong with the world, to bring righteousness and justice. And they were worried, like, hey, are these people going to miss out because they've already died? And so he says, no, we don't mourn like those with no hope. He's like, no, those who have fallen asleep, those who've passed, they'll be united with the Lord in his return. And, and that we, when Jesus returns, will be reunited with God for eternity. That's our, our destiny. That's our destination. So he's giving them great comfort in the midst of dealing with, with death and grief. And today, he wants this church to be able to flourish even in the midst of their greatest fears. And so as we come in this morning, I want you, as we're talking today, to just think about what is it that is your greatest fear and I mean, maybe like if you're any of my, like uh, any of my girl kids, it's spiders. My son, like he's like spider time means he gets an airsoft gun or uh, not, uh, not an airsoft gun, a little like gel pellet thing. And he just starts shooting our house up to kill spiders. So he's super excited about that. So maybe it's spiders for you. Okay. But let's, but let's get real. 
Like what is it, what are, what are the things that, that cloud the way you see the world that, that make it difficult for you to keep navigating your life that you're fearful of? Maybe, maybe it is the big things. Maybe it is seeing news reports about terrorism in Israel. Maybe it is conflicts across the world. Maybe it's the condition of our country or our region here in dealing with addiction and homelessness and economic issues. Maybe it is the big stuff. Maybe it's, I don't want to say not small stuff, but the stuff that's big just in your story. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's a diagnosis. Maybe it's the condition of your marriage today that you're like, oh, I... I, I didn't think it was going to be like this, and I'm fearful for what it looks like in the future. Maybe it's a relationship you have with, um, with, with your kids or your grandkids where you're, you're, you're worried or you're nervous. What's the outcome of their life going to be? They're having a dark chapter right now. Does a dark chapter equal a bad story? No, in the hope of the gospel, it doesn't have to. And so we have to be people, if we're Christians, if we're, if we're being reminded of our identity in Christ, reminded of what's true, reminded that, yes, we're in a battle, then, then we can be people who can even flourish or thrive even when we're dealing with great fear. And so if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 1 through 11 today. And I've broken it up into four sections. Because there's uncertainty and there's brokenness in the world, we can easily be driven by our fears. And so we have to have deeper desires, deeper disciplines that help get us away from focusing on that which brings us fear and, and being reminded of what's true. He says this in verses one through three. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there's peace and security. Then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Maybe you weren't sure what you were afraid of and then you heard those verses and now you know what you're afraid of. You're like, oh, the, the, the day of the Lord. This does not sound like a good thing. I, I'm gonna unpack this here for us for a couple of moments. The, the first thing that we do in trying to, to respond to our fears, to understand our fears, to overcome our fears, is to remember what is true. To remember what is true. Paul says um, that, that hey, you've heard the gospel truth of Jesus. You know his death in your place. You know the restoration of all things. You know that Jesus is returning. And because they, they maybe have, um, uh, some of them have a Jewish background, they have some Old Testament knowledge. And so they've, they've read about maybe in the book of Joel about the great and awesome and terrifying day of the Lord. Maybe they've read in Malachi about the day of uh, the Lord's return. And so, so they're, they're thinking, wait, Jesus comes back. Uh, I know this is good news, but also it seems like maybe there's judgment. Maybe, maybe there's difficult things that happen here. And so he's saying, hey, during times and seasons, so some of that is like exact dates. Some of that is seasons, really a season, a, a range of time. He says you navigate the world and you begin to think that because things are difficult in the world that it must be the end. And so this church, we'll, we'll see uh, in several sermons here over the next uh, couple weeks, like they got so hyper-focused on the end times that eventually he has to write them another letter to say, hey, like quit it with the charts. Go to work. 
get a job, feed your family. Is Jesus coming back next Tuesday? Maybe. I don't know. But either way, you're going to have to pay your power bill. So go to work. Because they're just like all wigged out. They're like, they're totally freaked out about the news. And some of us are there as well, right? And so this, this final day of the Lord, the, uh, the prophet Joel says in chapter 2, verse 31, is great and awesome. Well, that, that word awesome is, is a pretty big word because it actually means awesomely terrible when it comes to judgment. It's like a refining fire that's great if it's silver that's being refined, but not great if it's the dross that's being burned away. And so he says, you guys are so focused on when is the end going to happen? Should we be concerned? Like, I mean, they want a date. They want to know when this is happening. How do we prepare for it? And Paul just simply says in these first couple verses, you already know the answer. He said, you don't need further instruction. Sometimes when we're walking in fear, we don't need more instruction. We just need to be reminded of what's true. Because sometimes when, when you metaphorically get punched in the mouth a little bit, you're disoriented. Fear is very disorienting. Because you can't see the way forward. And you don't need a bunch of different people shouting a bunch of different instructions to you. You just need somebody to calmly remind you what is true about God's goodness, about judgment, about grace, about mercy. And so he says, rather than speculating and scouring the news, just be reminded of the simple truth that Jesus is coming back. That's a big idea. I mean, anything you're fearful of, you can have great confidence knowing that, that, that the worst thing that could happen in your life, in our society, in our world, will be undone when Jesus returns. That the greatest evil has an end. It has an end in the return of Jesus. And so he's saying one thing you can rest in and be reminded of is that Jesus is coming back. And the other thing you can know and be reminded of, nobody knows when. Like, like if, uh, if there's like pastors now who are like, well, anyway, something happened in Israel. Like these are definitely the birth pains of the end times. I'm like, hate to break it to you. Like you apparently don't know history the last 80 years because like every like 10 years something happens in Israel. And certainly, like, my, my wife and I, um, she, um, because I love her, she, like, I watch sometimes BBC shows with her on, like, um, Masterpiece Theater on PBS, and occasionally, they're not just people, um, you know, with, with doilies around their necks passing letters to one another, but occasionally they're about World War II, so I'm excited. Um, and so we watched this, this show called World on Fire, and it was about the time leading up to World War II. And, and I'm, I'm sorry, like, in every country, there was something pretty horrible going on. And I'm sure there was people during that time that were like, this is it. Jesus is coming back, like, any day now. And, and it's, it's odd, like, now, now I'm kind of, you know, I have a generation, a couple generations behind me. I've got, you know, another generation in front of me with kids and all that stuff. Every single generation thinks that we're the ones where Jesus is going to come back. Only one generation is going to be right about that. When he actually does. What we're called to do is be faithful and endure and engage in the places and time that Jesus has called us to be in. And so, yeah, Jesus is coming back. You don't know when. It's a day of judgment and restoration of the Lord, but Paul says here, it's going to come like a thief in the night, and he's not just making that up. He's echoing the words of Jesus in Matthew 24. 
who says the return, the, the, the last days of, of what we think about as history, the dawning of a new eternity with God and his people is going to come like a thief in the night. The church is living in challenging times, experiencing great hostility and persecution. There's this sense of urgency. The fear is growing. The trials are growing. Stuff's really getting real, and they want to know, is there going to be justice for the people who are oppressing us? And he's like, yeah, Jesus is going to come back. Justice will reign. Righteousness will reign. He just reminds them what's true. He says, it's going to come like a thief in the night. When does a thief in the night come? At no point have you gotten like a notification on your iPhone, thief showing up in three hours. Now, if you're our church building here, sometimes we get ring notifications um, that let us know that there's been a thief in the night. I think we're on, what, uh, 10 break-ins in seven years now? Yeah, so they, they don't announce. It'd be nice. Come in on a Sunday morning, we'll give you coffee, and then just like, that's it. You can have a muffin too. Please don't take the sound equipment. Um, we need it apparently, right? But thieves don't announce when they're coming. So what that means is that he's saying, it's okay to be a little alert. It's okay to be vigilant. Okay to lock your door. It's okay to be reminded that there are difficult times. He does say the thief is going to come at night. And this is metaphorically speaking that, that, that night is a time of darkness. God's going to return and shine light at a time of darkness. And you're like, okay, when's the time of darkness? And I just, again, please be a bit of a student of history to know that basically every era of human history has been a time of darkness since the beginning after God made everything good. And humanity traded the truth about God for a lie that God doesn't really love you, that God doesn't have the best thing for you, that God is holding out on you, and furthermore, that if you reject God, if you walk in sin, there's no consequences. That was a lie from the enemy. Humanity bought into that. And since that time, there's been a break in communion between us and God. There's been a break in communion between us and one another. Because we sin against one another. We, it breaks marriages, it breaks families, it breaks churches and communities. It leads nations and people to war. And so there's, it's been a time of, of darkness for a long time now. In a couple weeks, um, we'll, we will celebrate that our God was so good to not allow darkness to reign for eternity. But at the advent, the arrival of Jesus Christ, it says light shone in the darkness that a new dawn began, that, that light began to shine into the world. And even as the sun rises and there's long shadows that stretch out, there's still periods and patches of darkness. We're still in a, a time of darkness, yes, but he's saying, no, Jesus is the light. Romans 1 says that when we are in sin, that our foolish hearts are darkened. And so this day of the Lord that is coming is a day where, where if you want to see justice reign, if you want to see evil end, then you better want a good and righteous God to judge the world. To say, if there's something broken, I know it needs to be fixed. If there's something evil, I know it needs to end. The only, the only person we can trust for that is God. We are not great judges of good and evil. We're not great judges of our own hearts, our own souls. And so, 
The church in Thessalonica and sometimes us, they start to kind of get a little spooked, a little concerned. How should we respond to this day of the Lord? Uh, and this, um, you know, especially when we're in fear. And what happens is that when we're in fear, the more fear we have, the more we, we grow insecure, the more we desire safety and security. And so for this church in Thessalonica, uh, we told you several weeks ago, um, they were on a main traffic corridor, not on like I-5. And so because of that, they were a center of trade and a lot of economic growth. Here in the Puget Sound, we have a lot of economic growth. Believe it or not, there are other places doing worse off than we are here in the Puget Sound. But because we have the I-5 corridor running from Mexico to Canada and back and forth, we have serious issues around drug trafficking and human trafficking, right? We have a lot of crime in our area and in our region. And so the Thessalonians were dealing with that. Roving gangs would come in from that road and just, just set up shop in the city and, and, and people didn't feel safe at night. Until a couple generations before this letter was written, the Romans showed up. And the Romans were a party of law and order. You know, like we, we, we backed the blue with, with the Roman Empire, right? And so, so when the Romans showed up, they literally promised Pax and Securitas, which means peace and security. And we're gonna give you peace and security by our strength of our soldiers. And so Roman garrisons began to start filling the city. And the people felt safe. And the challenge was, because they felt safe, they placed their safety in those soldiers. They pledged their allegiance to that emperor. So much so that in Thessalonica, they set up a temple to worship the emperor. The god of politics. The god of government. That's where they found their security in. So if the election went the way they liked it, they were happy. If not, peace out, Idaho's calling, right? I don't know if that's worked. I don't know if the Thessalonians had an Idaho. Maybe they're like, we're going to Galatia, right? They got a governor there we like. I don't know, I don't know, right? But so they desperately wanted peace and security. They were fearful. And so they placed a temple into to government and to their leader. And, 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 they were, and, and so they're like, we have peace even in the midst of pluralism, but it was a, a false peace. Because what happened was people started to become Christians and they realized, oh, I'm worshiping Jesus as the Prince of Peace, not the Roman Emperor who claims to be the Prince of Peace. I'm worshiping Jesus as the Son of God, not the Emperor who claims to be the Son of God. And so they had divided allegiances. And now they were on the wrong side of Roman history. And so they found themselves marginalized and no longer valued in Roman and Greek society. And so they began to get persecuted. Things got more difficult for the church. And Paul's saying, no, you've endured and you are enduring. And they're just wondering, is God gonna fix this? And the answer is yes. He will fix it on his timing for his purposes. And so again, like, I mean, I'm just kind of went big picture political there for a second, but I, I want you to think about this personally for you and what you're struggling with, what you're dealing with. Again, maybe you're insecure in your marriage. Maybe you're insecure economically. Maybe you're insecure uh, in some of your relationships. I don't know what it is for you. But sometimes there can be a, a, a disconnect between what we're hoping is going to fix things and what actually will. At certain points 
It's more than okay to just throw our hands up and pray and say, God, this is bigger than I can handle. God, I want to see you do what only you can do. God, I've exhausted my ability to make this work. I've exhausted my ability to, to change this situation. And instead, grow in confidence in the God who knows you and who loves you. And so, what was happening as well is, is that, um, to be reminded of what was true, he said, this is going to happen at a point where, spiritually speaking, people are going to have false security. See, again, back to that lie from the enemy. There's, there's big lies that the enemy has, has said against God. You know, like I said, one is that God isn't good, that he doesn't have good things for us, but, but one that we need to remember that, that is lost in our culture for sure is that sin hurts and sin has consequences. That sin does separate you from God. And if God's the source of life, if God's the source of, of, of enjoyment and purpose and all things that, that are good and flourishing, to be disconnected from that will lead to death. Spiritual death, physical death, and for eternity. Like your soul is built for eternity. So for eternity, for you to be disconnected from God is hell. It's just consequences for saying, I've, I've already said I don't want to be with God, and God at a, a certain point says, okay. And so what happens is, spiritually speaking, you get a whole bunch of people that tell you, no, no, you're okay, you're a good person. And so in Jeremiah chapter 6, he talks about these, these priests um, and prophets who deal falsely. And he says this in verse 14, they've healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, wholeness, wholeness, shalom, shalom, communion with God, communion with God, when there's no peace. Were they ashamed when they committed abominations? Nope. They were not at all ashamed. They didn't know how to blush. Listen, sometimes when we sin, we feel shame. Sometimes things that have been done to us make us feel shame. There's right ways and wrong ways to deal with shame. And, and the way the world has said that we should deal with shame is, is to just uh, pretend that, that nothing is ever wrong and we become shameless. And what he's saying here is, you know, no, when we sin, it, it's... It's okay and right and just at times for us to feel some guilt. Not condemnation. If you're a Christian, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But sometimes God wants us to have some healthy fear, not to, I don't want to terrorize you into the kingdom, but maybe to, to realize that God is holy, that God is good, and that when we're walking in ways that are not the way God has designed, that, that there is a separation, that there, is, that there is wrong in the world. And he's saying, hey, people are perpetrating things that are just shameless. They don't know how to, to blush. And so lastly in this section, I'm going long here on this, but um, there's an anticipation that we should have of Christ's return. He uses the thief analogy, which is kind of frightening, right? But he also says it's gonna come on like labor pains. Okay, labor pains Right, if somebody's uh, pregnant, um, you know, my, my wife's been pregnant five times, we have six kids, uh, right? When you're pregnant, there's an anticipation of new life. There's an anticipation that something's gonna be birthed 
It's going to be joyful and wonderful. And, and then you bring the baby home, and then they just cry for years and years. And, um, and you know, but, but it's, it's good. It's good. You, know, you should want to have kids, okay? But there's an anticipation. And, and when you're in that last trimester, right, those last few weeks, you're like, it could be any day now. And, and, and so there's this constant sense of it's going to happen. Man, it feels like it's a long time. But there's a surety that it's going to happen. And that's what he's saying. The return of the Lord, God's judgment, yes, but also God's mercy and grace to us, the restoration of all things. He's like, the world's pregnant. It's going to give birth to new life. History's going to give birth to the new heavens and new earth in Christ Jesus. There's an anticipation of what's next. And so like pregnancy, you're preparing for new life to come. There's a, a sense of surety. We don't know when, but we know it's going to happen. And for those that are anticipating that birth, oh, that is a glorious and joyful thing worthy of celebrating. And so in dark times, we need to be enlightened, not just to the spiritual reality of God's judgment, yes, but also his mercy and grace. And so we just, when we're in fear, when we're in darkness, we need to, number one, be reminded what's true. Number two, we need to be reminded of our identity. Okay, I've, I've talked to you a little bit about spiritual realities that are big, some that are individual to you, but I want you, if you're in Christ, and Paul wants this church to, in fear to be reminded of their identity. He says this in verse four. But you are not in darkness, brothers and sisters, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. And so the first thing, remember what's true. The second thing is remember who you are. Remember what your identity is if you are in Christ. You may be like, I've talked about judgment. I've talked about wrath. If you're a Christian, you have nothing to fear. Your judgment day is not to come. Yes, it's appointed for men to die and then face judgment, but the ultimate judgment day for you happened 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ died for your sin on the cross. That's the day you look to, so when you face judgment, when I face judgment, when I meet God face to face, I cannot give him a very good Chris Rich resume. My life just ain't that great. I'm gonna look at him and I'm going to say, the only thing I can trust is Jesus in my place. The only hope I have is Jesus' perfection in my place. I am guilty as a sinner. I'm not, I'm not fighting the charges. I'm asking for the sentence to be commuted because this man, who is God, who is perfect, took it for me on the cross. That's the only hope we have. And if you're a Christian then you get to be reminded of your identity, that you're not defined by the evil and darkness around you. We as Christians are defined by the Holy Spirit in us. So it doesn't matter what happens in the world. I mean, it matters because it impacts us. But when it comes to our greatest fears, when it comes to our identity, we are not defined by the times we live in. We're defined by the Holy Spirit in us. And so... This time of darkness, he says, you are not in darkness. He's talking about a time of moral evil, spiritual darkness, contrasted with the light of God. And so we don't 
know when Jesus is coming back, but man, if you're a Christian, you just, you have nothing to fear. If, if these are the birth pains of his return, then like, let's go. We're almost done. This is great. Like if you're a Christian, there's an anticipation, not of great fear, but of great reunion with our great God. And so we don't look at news reports and think this is it. We don't live lives of shock that, that like when Jesus comes back, we're gonna be like, our hope is realized. That him who we've placed faith in is righteous and true and God answers his promises with yes in Jesus Christ. Verse five says it so clearly. For you are children of the light, children of the day. When you are something, in this case, children of the light, when you are something, it means you can't be something else. So again, we are not defined by the times that we are in, but what God has done for us. And, and so in the interim, like we're gonna experience some tension in this world because we're citizens of a new kingdom, a kingdom of light. Our times are dark, but as 1 John 2.8 says, darkness is passing away. A true light is already shining. There is goodness and grace and mercy in the world. And if there's goodness and grace and mercy in the world, it's because of the work of the Holy Spirit. It's because of Jesus Christ. Because for a couple thousand years, there's now been a couple billion people that are children of the light. So yeah, there's times where society feels like it's going okay. And I'll tell you, the more a society has a, a bunch of individual children of the light living as light in a dark world, it leads to flourishing for them and for those around them. And so it's not a call to disengage, but it's a call to engage in the way God has called us to. If in chapter four, he tells us not to mourn like those with no hope when we face death, in chapter five, what he's saying is we don't have to fear like those who have no security in life. Because even when things get difficult, we know that there's a God who's bigger and greater and stronger than whatever we will face. And so that means that when we face darkness in the world, we deal with it differently with those who have no security and no hope. If this world is all there is, then gosh, I don't really know how you don't just fall into a great depression at all times. And so he says, hey, we're not gonna sleep during this time. We're not gonna be fearful during this time. We're not gonna disengage during this time. And so you're actually gonna be more engaged with the world. We're gonna be more sober-minded in the midst of conflict. When the temperature gets turned up in our culture, when the intensity and the anxiety and the vitriol get turned up, us as Christians should be like a thermostat that just gets set to chill, to calm, not disengagement, not checking out, but a humble gospel confidence. Gosh, it is dark. We are children of the light, and we are meant for this time, for this place with these people. Every single one of us has a sphere of influence that we get to engage with, where we get the opportunity to shine light into the darkness. Some of us have bigger impacts than others, but I mean, if you've got a family, if you've got a spouse, if you've got kids, if you've got a job, if you've got a company, if you've got a school, like what, whatever it is for you, like you are called to shine light in the darkness and to be awake and to be, it says here, sober-minded, 
to practice self-control, to be fully alive in the midst of darkness, longing, longing for greater light. Like, I don't want you to think that we deal with our fears by pretending there's nothing to be afraid of or that somehow we look at our world and just, just don't have to, like, oh, that's just the world, I, I don't care. Or think that, that's, that, it's not actually, that it doesn't actually matter. I mean, it does matter. Like, it should drive us to greater longing, to desire the true light of Jesus to shine in the world. It should lead us to prayer. It should lead us to perseverance. It should lead us to greater reliance on one another, to, to gather the church. Like, every week when we gather, we're just a bunch of little twinkle lights getting together. It's trying to shine a little bit brighter in the midst of this dark world. That's why we have these regular rhythms of, of gathering with God's people to, to sing his praises, to hear his word, to be reminded, Lord willing, of what's true, to take communion, remembering what Jesus has done for us. And so we remember what's true, we remember identi our identity, and then in verse seven and eight, we remember that there is actually a battle and we need to be alert. Verses seven and eight says this. For God has not called us, for, sorry, wrong, wrong verse, seven, eight, seven, eight, here we go. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of our hope of salvation. And so you're gonna have to remember that you're in a battle. So the answer when things get dark is not to just cozy up and put a blanket over your head and just try to, try to grin and bear it. He says, hey, like, you're, don't do what you're gonna be tempted to do. Two things, like we're always tempted to do this when we get fearful and when things get tough. We either wanna, I just wanna sleep it out. You know what, if I can just go to sleep, maybe in my dreams things will be fine and maybe I'll wake up and there'll be that, that couple moments, you know, when you're about to wake up where you forget about everything that's wrong in the world. Gosh, aren't those milliseconds great, right? And they're really fast if you got like a horrible iPhone alarm and it's just like, meh, meh, meh. Like, oh, but when you can just have that like, that tranquility, all is right with the world. Oh, never mind. I forgot. It's still Tuesday, right? Like, no, he's like, no, be awake. Like, be aware of what's going on in the world. That's okay. The other thing we do is, is if we're gonna have to be engaged with the world, then we better just drink our sorrows away. We better, it says here, not just drink, but get drunk. So if I have to know about this, I want to be numb. So maybe that's alcohol. Maybe that's substances. Maybe that's food. Maybe that's entertainment. I don't know what it is for you that causes you to just numb out. But he's saying, that's not what you're called to. Yes, Eat, drink to the glory of God. Yes, enjoy the world and life and all those things. Have moments of relaxation. Watch the shows, do the things. That's great. But he's saying we are to be awake and we're to be sober-minded. And so what that means is because we don't know when Jesus is coming out, we gotta be prepared, we gotta be engaged. So that means that you're not gonna live in a constant state of alarm, right? Alarm is like, stuff's going on, this is scary. But it does mean we need to be alert, to the times, can you understand the difference between alert and alarm? Right, being, being vigilant, being aware, but not being fearful, and yep, and there's times where they're, they're gonna be higher intensity, times of higher engagement. And so when we remember where we belong, we find peace and security that we can be awake, not looking to the world like we're having drunk goggles, but instead being sober-minded, 
And so, yeah, we know that there's spiritual battles, right? As Christians, like, it's a call to be citizen soldiers in some regards. But let's not get weird about it, right? Our, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against Satan, rulers, and principalities. So that means we're children of the light. It says, it says we belong to the day. That means you are held securely by the day. So you don't have to fear no matter how dark the night gets. Like when the sun dawns, it always overcomes the night. Like, it, like the sun doesn't rise and the night's like, never mind, put the light away. Right, I've said this before. At no point ha have you been in a dark room and somebody opened a light hallway door and the darkness came out of the room and made the hallway darker. No, what happens? The light shines into the room. And so we can know and, and have endurance in the spiritual battles of our life and of our world, knowing that victory is assured. Like that Jesus has already won. The resurrection of Jesus shows that he's victorious over death. The return of Jesus is the consummation of the final battle of history, where darkness is no more and light will shine for eternity. And he says here, you can fight in this battle. You can engage in this battle. And then he, he talks about like spiritual armor. If you know Ephesians chapter six, it talks about swords and all these different things. What's amazing here is he talks about spiritual like armor and such and everything he talks about isn't offensive, it's defensive, Right? What, what does he say here in, in verse 8? We belong to the day. Let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet for the hope of salvation. He's already talked about this early in the book. Faith, hope, and love is the embodiment of our Christian faith. And so he says, as the slings and arrows of the world come in, you can rest knowing that you're owned by the day and you're protected by the faith, hope, and love that comes with our faith in Jesus Christ. We don't have to fear because we are protected by God. Faith in God that, that, that our greatest fear does not have to lead you to fight or flight. Our fear needs to lead us to greater faith in the God who saves and the God who's good. Our love for one another also encourages us that we don't retreat from relationships during difficult times, but we press in because there's greater joy the more little twinkle lights get together. And then there's the hope of our salvation, that fear doesn't lead to despair, that our salvation is comprehensive. It covers ourselves, it covers us from head to toe. The brokenness of this world and all of that is gonna wash away. But we will be protected and saved by the Lord. We'll be delivered and that leads us to our last verses as we close. That we can, we can have faith in our identity. We can have faith in what's true. We can have faith remembering there's conflict. And we can have great hope knowing what our destiny is. Verse 9. For God has not destined us for wrath. For God has not destined us for wrath, he says. But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. There's so much gospel truth in that spot, right? That circle, underline, bracket, that for us. That when you look at the cross of Jesus Christ, that is God saying he is for you. That is God's love shown for you. 
Like, you don't have anything to fear because we look at the cross of Christ and we see that he is for us. So whether we're awake or asleep, which earlier means a euphemism for death, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. This morning, if you're coming in and I've talked about judgment and the end of the world and, and, and fear and sin and all these different things, if there's any like hint of trepidation in you, that might just be the Holy Spirit telling you that it's time for you to no longer have faith in yourself, but to look to God and Jesus Christ who's for you. This might be your day of salvation. This might be your day where your fear turns to faith, not in your resume, but in Jesus Christ as the hero of history and the hero of your story who died for your sin so you could have new life now and forever. And church, Christians, I'm, I'm right here with you guys. I get terrified all the time. I got dozens of things that cause me fear and insecurity. But fear is a liar. We don't always need more instruction. Sometimes we just need to be reminded what's true. Our God is the God who rules over all. Our God is the God of history and eternity. Our God is a God who's just, yes, who vanquishes evil and is merciful and gracious to us. While we were yet sinners, he died for us. We are not children of the darkness. No matter how dark things get, you and I in Christ, we are children of the light. We are owned by the day. And yep, it's gonna be a battle. There's gonna be difficult times ahead. There's been difficult times in the past. But as the slings and arrows come in, we have hope. Not because of the strength of our faith, but by the object of it that in Jesus Christ, we're protected from the slings and arrows of this world. Oh, we might get wounded, we might get maimed, we might just feel like we're barely limping into the end. But it's God who's given us the victory. It's God who will carry us across the finish line. It's Jesus who will strengthen us now and forever. If your faith is in Christ, he's, he's given you his Holy Spirit, so that's what defines you, not the times outside of you. He's given you a church community and family. He's given us churches across here in Snohomish County that, that love the Lord, that love God's word, that we share the same hope, we share the same faith in Jesus. You and I are not alone. And so when we come to times of insecurity, come to times of greater fear, we remind one another of what's true. We remind ourselves of our identity. We remind ourselves it's gonna be tough. And then we remind ourselves that Jesus always wins. And so no matter what is going on in this world, whatever's going on in your world, whatever's going on internally that's causing insecurity and fear, we don't have to be ruled and defined by that. But we can have great hope and great endurance as we simply trust Jesus. Let's pray. God, you're good to us. God, you're good for us. Lord, I thank you that we are not defined by the times around us, but by the Holy Spirit in us.